0: Is it a seat. My song is love unknown, my saviour's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die? Here might I stay and sing, no story so divine. Never was love, dear King, never was grief like thine. This is my friend, in whose sweet praise I all my days would gladly spend. I'm here today not as someone who has wholeheartedly pursued God all my days. But what I can say is that I'm someone who has been pursued by God all my days. The story of the Bible is that unlike me, God is relentless in his pursuit of a a loving relationship. The reality is I get distracted and I waver all the time. But God doesn't. He's like a, a laser focus of pursuing a relationship with people like you and me. And the word the Bible has for how he expresses that is this word covenant. So much so that the Bible is actually divided into two covenants, two testaments. So important is this word covenant that our entire Bible is described as being laid out in two covenants two testaments. There's the old covenant and there's the new covenant. We don't talk much about covenants today and they may seem to us sort of dry, legal, boring things, but I can tell you whenever you have a bridegroom and a bride who are standing at the front of a church and they're looking into each other's eyes and they're giving their consent to one another and they're holding hands and giving their vows to each other, and then they're putting on rings, and then they're sitting down and they're writing and signing out documents that have legal consequence. There is nothing dry or boring or, or just legal about it, because what's happening is that the bridegroom and the bride are relishing every moment every aspect of being able to express their love to each other. Even signing the documents in front of the witnesses is an opportunity to say, I love you, because I love you, because I love you. And from this moment on, not myself, but you are gonna be the most important person on this planet. There is nothing dry or seemingly just legal or boring about it. And we saw a few months ago before Easter, whenever we were looking at the first picture of how the Bible describes covenants, in Deuteronomy we saw that the first picture is one of a peace treaty. And the peace treaty, the book of Deuteronomy actually is written as an entire peace treaty in the ancient world. Basically what would happen is a conquering king would conquer the people and then he would say, here's the deal. And the deal wouldn't be signed the way we would do it today with pen and ink and lots of tiny print that you can't read. The way it would happen is a number of animals would be cut and put in different parts and then the high king would walk between the carcasses of the animal and towards his new people and it would spell out what the deal was between the conquering king and his people. And that's what the whole Old Testament is about. And so in Genesis chapter 15, there is this signing of the covenant. And what happens is God himself, in the form of a blazing torch and a smoking fire pot, walks between the carved-up animals that Abraham has put out on the ground, and the Lord moves through them, and he basically says, here's the deal. I'm making a deal with you. And the deal is three parts. If anyone's bought a car or whatever at any stage or probably even a mortgage, we know what it looks like. There's three parts. First of all, there's the benefit. That basically, if we stick to the peace treaty, there's benefits if you buy the car, you get the car. If you buy the house, you get the house. The benefit is clear what you've got. But also in the contract, there are um, there's obligations. For the mortgage, you've got to pay the mortgage every month. The obligation is, you've got to pay, you've got to, you're saying, I am not going to miss one month of payment. So there's an obligation within it as well. And there's also a penalty clause. The penalty clause is, you don't pay, you'll lose your house. You don't pay, you'll lose your car. So we're familiar with what a contract looks like. And the old covenant had a similar structure. The benefit was that God was saying, if you stick to this covenant, then the covenant deal is, I'll be with you, I'll protect you, and I'll provide for you. I'll bless you, there will be protection against foreign enemies, and there will also be good harvests, and I will live among you. But there's some obligations. The obligations are that you are to know that I am the only God to worship me and to obey my laws. And then the third part was the penalty clause. And God says, if you don't do this, then I will withdraw. I will take my presence from you, and the protection that goes with it will be withdrawn with it. And that's what the old covenant is all about. And we see that through how he related to David and his descendants. And again and again, he was calling his people to worship him as the one true God for their own benefit, for their own sake. But again and again, they said no. So the second picture comes into view in the Old Testament. The second picture of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, is marriage. The first one is the peace treaty, and the second picture is marriage. It's the same covenant. It's the same deal. It's a different way of looking at it. And so the Lord sent prophet after prophet to call the people back to what was effectively a marriage with him because the Lord said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And one prophet sent by God to his people was Hosea. In the book of Hosea, God tells Hosea to marry and love an adulterous woman, a woman called Gomer. And Gomer has quite a reputation. And God says to this holy man of God, this prophet, I want you to marry basically the most unfaithful woman that you can find in Israel. And Hosea says, I'll do it. And so he marries this woman called Gomer. And I'm sure there's quite a ripple through the community whenever Hosea marries her. And so Hosea is completely faithful to Gomer. But yet, Gomer, even having Hosea's children, is repeatedly unfaithful to him and even moves in with another man. And because of her adultery, Hosea stops showing love to Gomer. And this is a symbol of God sending Israel into exile. And then the Lord surprises surprises Hosea and Gomer, I'm sure, because he says to Hosea, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. And this is to illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. And so what Hosea has to do is, he has to pay a dowry again. And can you imagine the humiliation of Hosea going to another man's house and paying silver and barley and he pays something else, I can't quite remember, but he pays a big dowry in order to pay to get his wife back. And the man releases Gomer because Hosea pays a certain price for her. And can you imagine the humiliation then of Hosea bringing his wife, Gomer, back to his home, even though the fact that she has been living with another man. And the Lord said, the reason why I'm calling you to do this is because I will show love to the one I said is not loved. And I will call those who I called not my people, and I will say to them, now you are my people, and they will reply, you are my God. And the reason why he was doing this is because he was saying, there's going to be another covenant. Now you and I may well wonder, why did God put himself through that? Why did he keep loving Israel? It's the same question as me asking myself, why does God keep pursuing a love relationship with a person like me? Why does he do it? He doesn't do it because of who I am or what I've done. He does it because who he is. And so just as Hosea went back for Gomer and paid the price, God said there's gonna be a new covenant. And the amazing thing is this covenant, which is not just for the people of Israel, it's for all of us, it's for you and me as well, was going to cause even more pain to God than the first covenant. Jeremiah says the word of the Lord in saying, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt. They broke the covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant I will make. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never remember their sins. The picture of the old covenant was, the two things, the the peace treaty and marriage. But the New Testament paints a new picture for the new covenant, and it's one of a will. And the difference between that and the old covenant is this. In a marriage and in a peace treaty, both sides have responsibilities. But in a will, all you have to do is receive. There's nothing you have to do to benefit from the new covenant, except receive. It's such a game changer from the old covenant. Carl Bard, famous theologian, said that effectively what God did was that God the Father shook hands with his son on the deal. In other words, the new covenant has not been made with you and me. The new covenant has been made between God the Father and God the Son. God the Father shook hands with the Son over a deal that would cause great pain to God, but would bring blessing to you and me. Hebrews, in the letter to Hebrews, it says this, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. It was Carl Barth that was saying was said this in Christ God has at last found the perfect covenant keeping partner. The basis of the New Testament is this if you want to become a child of God and receive all the riches of heaven, all you've got to do is put out your hands and receive. There are no prior obligations to receiving it seems too good to be true, doesn't it? No matter what you have done, no matter what you've said, no matter what your background, no matter how far you have fallen again and again short of the person that God has called you to be, it does not exclude you from receiving what God has given you in His will. If you are willing to, your name, Is on the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is put out your hands and receive it. Grace, G R A C E, has been defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Christ has fulfilled the old covenant. He lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father, and he fulfilled the old covenant. And he also paid the penalty clause. When I was 14 years old, I decided to receive what God was offering. And for the first few weeks, I couldn't bring myself to call myself a Christian because I just thought people know me too well. People in my neighborhood and people in my church at the age of 14 knew me by reputation and it wasn't a good reputation. And so I, I couldn't bring myself to call myself a Christian because I thought I'll not be able to do it. I'll not be able to follow through. And because people know what I like, what I'm like. And I'll never forget my youth leader lovingly bringing me aside and, and telling me the truth. And he said, Nigel, you're totally right you will never be good enough. And that's the whole point. You will never be good enough. But Jesus Christ has made you good enough. God hasn't made a deal with you and me. God has made a deal within himself with his son. And you and I get to be the beneficiaries. It is not performance related. We cannot default on the contract. It's a will, and your name and my name is on it. All we're called to do is say, go whatever riches you have in Jesus Christ, I want them all. So don't let your past keep you from what God wants to give you. The Bible says that he is willing to throw them as far away into the sea of forgetfulness and not bring them back to his mind anymore and he will not dredge them up. That's the gift of grace. That's the amazing gift of Jesus Christ. It seems too good to be true, but it's not too good to be true. It's the gift of eternal life. And the proof of it is that a man who was dead rose from the dead. And he will never die again. In that creed that we declared at Jesse's baptism, the last part of it says this, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Do you know whose body that is? It's your body The second part of the creed is about the body of Christ. The third part is about your body. It's about saying, I believe that death has been conquered and I believe the day is coming when I will stand on the earth and Jesus Christ in flesh and blood will stand before me and I will say, I know that my redeemer lives because the day is coming when I will see him with my own eyes. Do you believe it? Will you receive it? There is no reason whatsoever for you not to believe and receive. And if there's a little voice in your head at this moment saying, my husband knows what I'm like, my wife knows what I'm like, my children know what I'm like, my parents know what I'm like, my friends and neighbors know what I'm like, do not let it hold you back. Believe and receive. That's the mark that we've placed on Jesse today. To say, Jesse, you're loved because you're loved because you're loved. And Johnny and Jill's job and Robin's job is to show Jesse what unconditional love looks like. And our job as a church family is to show the people around us and every child around us what does unconditional love look like. So let's stand. We're gonna sing, and uh, after the service, if if you want prayer for healing, because we believe that Christ has unleashed the power to heal, if you want healing from physical, mental, emotional, whatever, spiritual, then please do come today for healing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you're making all things new. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and so Lord, we just give you thanks for that. And Lord, we wanna put our hands up today and say we want what you have. We don't believe that this world is all there is. There's a longing in our hearts, a a, a hunger in our hearts that says there's got to be more. And Lord, there is more in Jesus Christ. And today we wanna say we receive and we believe. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit into us today. Come and live with us, sweep out our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you make us good enough You make us right, and you're the one who will enable us to follow Jesus Christ because we can't do it in our own strength. So come, Lord. We believe we receive the gift of Christ Himself by His Holy Spirit. Come and make us new. And we look forward to that day when we will see you face to face in new resurrection bodies. And our hope and prayer is that Jesse will stand with us. Come, Lord Jesus. Come.